sometimes. The best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. And welcome to the back of the range. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 270. Well, I'm back here in Chicago, the Windy City, for the Western Amateur at Exmoor Country Club. Without a doubt, one of the strongest fields in amateur golf. Absolute killers up and down the tee sheet. All-Americans, USGA champions. The world's best amateurs are here in Chicago for the final test of the summer before heading to Ridgewood and Arcola in New Jersey for the U.S. Amateur in a couple weeks. The stroke play portion is already underway. The leader in the clubhouse is Kelly Chin after a, well, <laughs> just an incredible 8 under par 63 to start his campaign. Before looking ahead to match play, where we will eventually crown the 120th Western Amateur Champion, my guest on this episode won his Western Amateur Championship back in 2016 at Knollwood. My guest on this episode is former All-American from the University of Illinois, Dylan Meyer. Dylan is currently competing on PGA Tour Canada, racked up a top 10 this past weekend in Ontario. Dylan's collegiate and amateur resume was impressive. Hogan Award finalist, Big Ten Player of the Year, first team All-American, and that was in 2017, the season after his Western Amateur win. We had a great conversation about his collegiate career at Illinois, and the impact that his coach, Mike Small, had on his golf career. Mike Small is a legend, by the way, not just as a coach, but as a player. Mike was a guest back on episode 68. Go check that one out. You know the drill. Every episode is available at thebackoftherange.com. While I'm here at the Western Amateur, make sure you're following WGA Championships on Instagram and keep following the Back of the Range on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Let's jump into this episode right away. Dylan, welcome to the back of the range. How are you? I'm wonderful, man. Thanks for having me on. Uh, absolutely. We're, we're this bit of a bit of a scheduling. Uh, I'm not sure how this worked out, but I know Tiger, you're a big fan of Tiger Woods, and we're literally talking maybe 20, 30 minutes away before his uh, his opening tea time or his opening round here at the 150th open. Um I guess I'll I'll ask you a question I've been asking a lot of people. Does Tiger do the infamous kind of farewell wave on the Swilkin that that Jack has done and Arnie's done and and Watson's done? Does he do that this time? What what are your feelings on that? Um, I don't know. I you, you know they one of the reporters asked him. I believe it was yesterday, the day before, if he was going to retire, and he said, "Me retire? No way." Right. Uh, so. So, I mean, it's one of those deals that it could be, you know, he could have one of those things because I don't know exactly when the next time St. Andrews is hosting. Right. So it, it could be the night that this could be his last time around there and, you know, playing in it and as a serious competitor of getting in there and um, trying to win. So, I mean, there is definitely a possibility of that. And, you know, to do it at the 150th, you know, uh, open championship it would be you know monumental for the game uh not only for him but like i said for the game yeah i almost feel like he kind of isn't going to get a choice especially if um especially if he's going to miss the cut i kind of feel that there's going to be just a group of photographers camped out there and there's just like especially i know he's with homa and he's with uh with fitz I'm kind of guessing that something is going to happen. It just kind of depends on where he stands on the leaderboard. If he's clearly outside the cut line or if he's, if he hangs something really great this morning. Um, yeah, I, I guess it's just going to be a wait and see kind of thing, but yeah, I mean that, that, that I, the picture of Tiger Woods and the Swilkin bridge. I mean, it's, you know, priceless. Exactly. Now, have you been to the UK? I mean, I know you played back in your amateur days. I know you played the Australian masters, so you've been uh, outside the United States, but have you been over to the UK at all? Do you have any experience playing over there? I have not. No, okay. unfortunately, I have not. Yeah. Well, that's uh, I, I've been over there, and that's definitely something to kind of get on the list of things to do. And hopefully, uh, it'll be for an Open Championship or a Scottish Open or something like that in the future. Now, you're 
Obviously, we're talking a few days, few weeks before the the Western Amateur Championship. You are a former winner of that tournament back in 2016. We'll talk a little bit about that, but as it's kind of a rite of passage on the back of the range, give listeners a little bit of an idea as to where you got your start and how golf found you know found its way into your life. I know you are an Evansville, Indiana guy. Give me just a brief explanation of how you kind of find yourself playing golf. You know, I, I didn't do it the traditional route. You know, I, I started playing, you know, public golf. I say traditional route nowadays, you know, kids always playing in country clubs and sure. things like that. Um, you know, I, I did it the old fashioned way. I did, you know, growing up playing, you know, on public golf courses. Um, my dad and grandpa had a, um, a league every Thursday nights at one of the local munis here in town. Uh, Fender Golf Course. I went over there with them pretty well every day after school on Thursdays and uh, just hit the ball around. Just had my U.S. kids five iron and would <laughs> hit, just hit shots after shot after shot. And, um, you know, it's kind of where I fell in love with the game. And, um, you know, it just kind of progressed throughout my life of, you know, I started getting better, started realizing I had potential and talent and offers to go to college started flowing in. And that's kind of whenever I made that decision in high school that, you know, this is the sport I want to do. This is what I want to pursue going forward. And, you know, I was very fortunate enough that Coach Small found me in this, you know, needle of a haystack of recruiting uh, because I didn't play many national tournaments or anything like that. I pretty well stayed local in the high school circuit and in Indian junior golf and, um, you know, like I said, I was just fortunate that he was able to find me. And then once, once I committed there, I was able to play in, you know, the Western, uh, Western junior play second. And then, you know, that kind of opened the doors to national tournaments for me. And, um, you know, really put everything into perspective of what high level golf was before I got into college and had a little bit of a culture shock in college. You know, I did <laughs> win my first, I did win my first event, but then after that, I thought, you know, Oh, this is just as easy, but you know, in reality it wasn't. And then, you know, finally buckled down and uh played some really solid golf, you know, got to the highest ranks of, you know, amateur golf. It was very fortunate enough to come out of college playing the US Open and playing in a bunch of PGA tour events. So, you know, where it all from where it started to a little public golf course here in Fendrick to where I am right now, I mean it's it's truly a blessing and you know, I'd, I have everyone in my life to think it's too many to sit here and uh you know thank sure. so um no i'm definitely blessed for the way my pathway has been you know and and pursuing my dream of playing you know professional golf who holds the new course record at fendrick in Evansville, indiana Dylan? you didn't you <laughs> didn't yeah, be... i mean you didn't think that was going to get slipped past on this podcast i mean i, I don't yeah. wanna, i mean that's not going to get slipped past let's talk a little bit about this is recent this is barely a week old not even a week old actually week yeah. wait a minute it's a week ago tomorrow okay so it'll be yep. it'll be a week tomorrow um yeah but let's talk a little bit about this uh course record with your buddies if you don't look at the card and you just look at the picture it's just four guys there's a couple shirts untucked and it's just this looks like a beer league um <laughs> foursome right here um, probably was some beer involved. There's no way there was at least a couple beers. Uh, exactly. Um, what'd you shoot, Dylan? I shot 56, 14 under. <laughs> <laughs> so stupid. Um, yeah, I know. Uh, all right. So how, and of course, you know, this place like a back of your hand, but still at some point you have to be going through this round saying, um, this is and actually, there's a six, some chop shot of 65. That's just awful. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's terrible. Like, all right, so let's a little bit on the 56. When does it start getting like, all right, this is borderline ridiculous. Well, you know, the golf course, is, you know, it is only 5,800 yards. Obviously you still have to get the ball in the hole, Yeah, you know? Um, well, you know, that morning I, I kind of woke up and I was like, man, I want to try to go shoot my 59, my first ever 59. I want to be able oh to Oh my go God. Oh, oh, so you started out like, all right, I'm just going to break 60 today. Enough is enough. I've been here all my life. Let's just get it done. Yeah. And, you know, I've always heard people saying, oh, when are you going to? Oh, and literally, I think it was like two days before that, someone asked me, have you ever shot 59? Oh. So I've been fairly close at our country club here in town. I've had like three or four 60s and, you know, been very close. And, you know, I, I go out there and I'm like, you know what, today I'm going to try to make today the day. Yeah. You know, I, I par the first two holes, and the first two holes are, I mean, just 
their cake. And, you know, I missed a six footer on the first hole and, you know, I got up and down for par on the second and I'm like, well, I guess 59 is just out the window because of, you know, whatever. But, you know, I drive the green on three on the third hole, you know, to eight feet, make birdie, you know, and then kind of get a little bit of rhythm. And, you know, after nine holes, I see that I shot 29 on the front. I'm like, okay, well, you know, if I go shoot five under on this back nine, I have a very good chance, which the back nine is a little easier than the front nine. And, you know, I'm, I'm getting on a roll. I eagle one of the par fives, 14. And I'm like, okay, I think I'm in a decent position. And from that point on, I just kind of blacked out, I guess. And, you know, I birdied 15, 16, 17, and 18. And um, I was standing on 18 tee box. And I was like, you know, I feel like I got to be fairly close to, you know, shooting 59. And I look at it and I was like, oh, I'm 13 under. I'm well past the 59 mark. I was like, well, let's just go ahead and go get this last one because I think the front edge of the green was 300 yards. So I put it green high and then got it up and down, shoot 56. And, you know, have the course record by one. Someone shot 57. <laughs> oh, so, my God. Did you know that at the time? No, I did not know that. Oh so my I made God. my five. I made like a three, four footer for, for my 56. And, you know, they were like, well, you you got it by one. I was like, by one? I was like, damn. I was like, <laughs> I was like, who did that? But it was one of the local guy, one of the local legends around here that's won our city tournament, you know, nine, ten times. Yeah. So, so you know, it's and that's one of the places where our city tournaments held at. One of the rounds the city tournaments held at. So, um, we're all pretty familiar with that place. But uh, yeah, no, it was a, it was a fun day. It was an interesting day. Good, good group of guys um, that I like playing golf with. So, um, yeah, it was overall just fun. It was nice to be able to wear a t-shirt and you know, kind of get back into the flow of loving and enjoying the game for what it is rather than, you know, being buttoned up serious and yeah. you know, grinding away. It was a nice day to kind of get back, relax and kind of get back in the mode of, you know, why did I fall in love with the game where I fell in love with it? And, you know, I got, I got a little bit of heat for it on, you know, Twitter, those Twitter warriors, you know, they get behind that, you know, that keyboard and talk about it. But at the same time, it's one of those deals. It's like, Hey man, like if you're in my position trying to get back to the PGA tour and trying to find a way to enjoy the grind, you know, you'd be trying to figure out any way that you can, whether that's wearing a t-shirt, no shirt. Or yeah. Whatever. I, I, I don't see a problem. Yeah. I'm actually, now that you're mentioning it, I'm looking at one of these comments on Twitter and I'm just like, wow, this is just an angry, bitter old man. I mean, uh, this kid's wearing a t-shirt and back in my day, yeah. like, I don't, like, of no. course we can all agree. There's a time and place where you don't wear a t-shirt. Um, Right. But when it's just golf, man, I mean, it's, it's fun. It's supposed to be fun. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, you know, and uh, yeah, I don't, I don't get that, but that now, how did your buddies react as it's kind of, you know, were they treating you like the pitcher that's got a no hitter going in the eighth inning or were they just in, what was the vibe towards the end of this? Uh, you know, it was, you know, it was fairly like just everywhere just doing a thing like what we normally do, you know, having a good time, listening to the music, you know, kind of, you know, taking jabs at each other, no, you know, no big deal. And then, um, you know, we get to 18 and I make the putt and, you know, and, you know, they're slamming their hats down. I'm slamming my hat down, you know, giving big fist bumps and, you know, high fives and whatnot. And they're like, man, we wanted to mention it to you, but we really didn't want to say nothing. You That's know, awesome. kind of wanted to let you go and let you be in the zone. And I was like, man, I was just, I was like, you could have mentioned it and I would have been, you know, totally fine. And I just, I was just there to enjoy my time with you with those guys. And, and just, like I said, trying to find that enjoyment of the game for, for a day rather than, you know, grinding, you know, what off. So, oh, yeah. Well, my best score at a local muni uh, is 64. Um, you only beat me by eight. But I can, <laughs> but I can confidently say, Dylan, that there is no way you will ever beat my score of sixty-four at Boca Muni because they've torn the golf course down and are putting up condos. So, oh well, uh, there you go. So I am safe. Uh, you cannot touch my score of sixty-four <laughs> unless you've already done it. But we're moving on. We're moving on. I don't want to. I don't want to dwell on that. Um, <laughs> you mentioned. Uh, let me get out of this one really quick. So you mentioned Illinois. You know. I, your your achievements there i mean gosh three-time all-american and you were on the hogan award finalist in 17 and big 10 player of the year in 17 i mean it, it's too long of a list to go down bottom line you know one of the best players to ever come out of that program which is a a big statement right there but absolutely true 
It's uh, it, just a consistent powerhouse in collegiate golf. I think it's seven straight Big Ten conference titles now and 12 out of 13. I mean, it's the Big Ten goes through Illinois. I think that's uh, safe to say it's been like that for forever. And, you know, you mentioned the transition from junior golf and then playing, playing for Illinois. And I know coming out of Indiana, it's not a big transition as far as getting used to weather and conditions and grasses and things like that. But you mentioned Coach Small, you know, recruiting you. And, and this was really, you know, I'm around college golf a lot, and he is kind of one of those coaches where, you know, if I have a specific question or a need, I would go to him, but it's not necessarily the guy you go up to just to shoot the shit and assuming that he's got nothing else going on. I think I put Coach Bratton from Oklahoma State in the same category, rather intense and can be intimidating kind of guy. What was your first interaction with Coach Small like? Uh, you know, you know, it was pretty well business is business. You know, it was pretty well introducing everybody into the program. Um, you know, cause I have only, I, you know, met with coach probably once or twice before I actually got to campus. Um, he came and watched me play golf, you know, in a high school tournament. Um, and, but then, you know, I really didn't have much, you know, interaction with them before that. I just knew that, Illinois was a great golf program. They had the great facilities and, you know, my other offer that I had, you know, was ball state and that's where I was going to go. And, you know, a team that was, uh, whatever, you know, ranked in, you know, 110th or something like that compared to a team that just got off, uh, you know, a finals run, Yeah, you know, it was kind of a no brainer. And, you know, coach called me the night after he watched me play. Um, and he's like, Hey, I'm going to offer you. And he's like, take some time to think about it. It's like, hey, man, there's no reason to sit here and think about it. I was like, I'm going to come to Illinois. He's like, perfect, great. So, you know, first interaction, you know, getting to campus was pretty good. Um, it it kind of set the tone for the week or not for the week, but for my four years of, you know, when, when you come into the practice facility, when you go to school, when you go into your classroom, whenever you do anything involving, you know, Illinois men's golf and this athletic department, you bring your briefcase, you know, it's business. It's what we do. We come in here, we take care of our business. We handle what we need to handle and we're done and we get it done no matter what. Uh, and you know, that was kind of a tone that was set early for me. And, you know, I, that's something I didn't have growing up is kind of do what you want to do. I'm an only child. I didn't have that mindset and I didn't really have the, you know, team in high school that was a powerhouse in the state. Uh, we never really got out of sectionals. We never won any golf tournaments as a team. Um, so, you know, it was different. It was a culture shock. It was kind of something for me to learn and, and get th- and get through. But, you know, I kind of blew it off in the beginning. And, you know, yeah. especially after I won that first event. Yeah, I was like, yeah, I was going yeah, to say, like, you know, you win your first collegiate event and it's the home tournaments. It's, it's one of the – I would say that that has to be one of the most difficult collegiate tournaments of the season – because it's one of the very first ones, you're coming out of a summer of really hot golf, and then you, you come right into that, and, and Olympia Fields is just brutal, and the weather, it's blowing, it's windy. It's like, you know, people watch, uh, people look at the scores for that tournament, they're like, these guys are the best college players in the country? Like, these guys are these guys suck, because, every, because it's just so hard. But kind of looking back, maybe that tournament probably – I don't know. I mean, did it make it tougher for you to actually get into the culture of Illinois because you win your first one? You're like, oh, I got this figured out. That had to have been, I guess, looking back, it's like, oh, great, I won my first term. But also, it probably set you up for a little bit of a rough stretch that year. Oh, yeah, 100%. You know, after that event, I didn't play all that well. I was very individualistic. Um, and I think I didn't break, you know, 70 much of the fall semester for the rest of the year. Um, I know that I did get benched for the, uh, man, what was it? The Floridian event. Oh, Valspar. Yeah. I got benched for the Floridian event, but I played as an individual and that was kind of my wake up moment. Um, cause I believe, I don't think we won that event as a team, but I played well as an individual. And I think if, yeah. Um, I think if I would have been in the lineup, we would have won. I believe that was the case. Oh. You know, and, and coach and coach is like, "Hey, do you kind of realize it now that you let the you let the team down?" And oh, wow. And you, and so it's kind of one of those things where it worked out well. And for coach and his point, and I was like, you know what? Yeah, I'm tired of playing. You know, bad golf. I'm tired of not being part of this team. And 
being treated like part of this team. So I'm going to, I'm open arms. You tell me what to do and I'm going to do it. You know, no more resistance, no more this, that, and the other thing. And literally two weeks after that, you know, I believe we go to Purdue and, you know, I finish, you know, second or third and, you know, really starting getting the ball rolling. I play, play a decent at nationals at regionals and, you know, I have a pretty solid summer going into that. And then everything just kind of took off from there. You know, I, I kept seeing my game getting better and better because I cared more about the guys on the team and wanting to be about the eye on the bag, the Illinois that's on the bag, their athletic department. I'm representing something bigger than myself. And, you know, that was a nice coming moment for me because I never had that before. I never – I was always playing for Dylan. It was never playing for yeah. anyone else or whoever I was with. So I found a purpose to play for. And it was for those guys on the team, Coach Small, and, you know, trying to get him a national championship is what our main goal was from, you know, day one. And um, I was unfortunate we could not get one for him. But at the same time, we were able to go out and produce, you know, a lot of low numbers, a lot of tournament wins, and, you know, a lot of All-Americans. So that was that was a fun way of getting introduced to – golf in the real world of how to be successful in golf. That's crazy. That story about the Valspar is most of the time you see individuals that are playing, it's because they maybe are not playing well enough to help the team. And that's kind of incredible foresight that it worked out that way because it's really what, I mean, what a lesson for you and what a lesson for the entire team. Uh, that's so rare that that happens. Yeah. And you know, coach is one of those guys that, you know, to prove a point and to yeah. get a guy that he and to get a guy that he wants around and to turn the corner, he'll do that. You know, I've heard he's gotten stories where he's he's only played four guys in a tournament. He won't even take five. This was in the past. Wow. He'll play four guys and be like, Yeah, these are the guys that have worked hard. These are the guys that, you know, are showing that they deserve to be representing this program. And they go, and whether for one reason or another, whether it may be you know, disciplinary things or, you know, maybe not working hard enough. It's just that's how coach is and coach rolls with it. And then, you know, he's been very fortunate that it works out in his favor. And, you know, it seems to be right. And coach always has has this phrase and, you know, he's right every time he says it. It's he says, I could be wrong, but. And then whatever he says after that is usually about a thousand percent right. Uh huh. Uh huh. So he's just hedging, I, hedging a little, not to let, not to be too forceful with how he's saying it, just to kind of let. Yeah. 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 And so the transition was, I thought in the beginning, like, oh yeah, he could be wrong. And then I started learning, like after he said that, after like I don't know, twenty-five times, thirty times <laughs> of him being dead on right after saying that, I'm like, probably yeah, he knows that he's exactly right in this moment, so I should probably listen. There are some college coaches out there that definitely have uh, a playing resume. They've, they've, you know, I'm thinking of, I just mentioned, you know, Coach Bratton, you know, great player at Oklahoma State. I mean, we're thinking uh, Coach Hibble, you know, fantastic players at Oklahoma right now. But then you go look, you know, you look at Mike Small's record, and at some point you're like, all right, this, this isn't real because he's, I mean, back-to-back PGA professional national championships. I think he's won everything in Illinois that you can win unless there's some sort of a, you know, something at the, the state fair he hasn't won. But golf-related, <laughs> I, th- I think he's got everything golf-related. I mean, you know, opens and, and Illinois PGA champ. I mean, he's played in almost – he's always seems to be playing in the PGA championship. Like, if he's not playing in it, I either he passed on it and just didn't take the invitation – but he's like, he's always playing in that. When did you, uh, you know, obviously, you know, you spoke highly of, of his of his acumen as a coach. But when you first started playing golf with him, at some point you have to be like, oh, my gosh, this guy's a this guy's a stick. Like, this is ridiculous. How does this guy keep his game together while dealing with us idiot college kids? When I got to campus, you know, everyone was talking about, you know, coach is going to play with us. He's, you know, a really good player. Yeah, you know, yeah, right. Know talking about, you know, if you could beat coach, you're going to be, you're going to be doing pretty good. And I was like, okay, yeah. Like I said, this would be my first time having a coach that was truly, you know, better than I was and couldn't go out there and beat me handily. He's played on tour. He's done all these things. So, you know, it's kind of nice. And I, and I had amazing respect for it, you know, stepping onto campus. And that's one of the reasons why I went there. I was like, this guy played, he knows what it takes. He knows what's out there. And Two Nike Tour you know, wins, before we forget. Two Nike Tour wins, yeah. yeah. I mean, Corn Ferry exactly. Tour, whatever, yeah. He, he can play. 
Yeah, and so, you know, I get to campus, and he just plays some really good golf. You see that a short game is so good, and it's above everybody else's, and you're like, okay, that's the secret. And that's what he always preached on, you know, was our short game is our insurance policy. When everything's not going right and we have a, you know, a not a good day of ball striking, our our short game is going to bail us out. And, you know, and that's what he always had every single day. I can't tell you how many times we had a recruit come through the facility and coach would show the indoor thing and be like, oh, yeah, you know, we get to be able to chip off this different kinds of turf and he'd grab three balls and chip all three of them in. And they're not like standard easy chips from like four or five yards out. I mean, they're like, you know, a good 15-yard chip shots in the facility. And you're like, are you, you got to be kidding me. Right. And you just watch it. And because you know it's getting ready to happen. And, you know, you see the kid's eyes light up. And you're like, okay, well, that kid's a lot coming here. So <laughs> Done. Yeah. So it, it was always interesting and fascinating to see that no matter what he was doing, how hard he was working in the office for us behind the scenes, that he's still able to keep up with this game, go out and compete and play at a high level and, and these tournaments of PGA championships and, you know, national club pros. And he, he would always tell us or ask us whenever we'd be at events or before we go to events, if he'd have to leave early, if it was okay for him to go out, we were like, yeah, we want to see you go compete, man. As if we, if we were to say no, I mean, were you going to not go? Yeah. I was going to say you know? like, you, you are running the show, sir. So, uh, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Your tickets are already booked and your bags are already packed. So I don't know why you're asking us, but we appreciate it, but we're going to be watching and, you know, and seeing how you play. And, you know, that, that was always a confidence boost for us, knowing that he was still out there competing, out there knowing what it feels like to be in the situations that we were in. Because sometimes, you know, coaches, they've played in the past, but they didn't, they haven't played recently. So they don't know that feeling. I mean, sure, they can tap into it and be like, oh, I remember back in when I did this. No, a coach did it last week. You know, he was standing on, he was standing on the 13th hole, hitting a three wood on a par five trying to go for the screen and trying to make some money. This dude knows exactly what it felt like because he just did it. And, you know, you kind of respected that and you just trusted his gut. And if he didn't, then, you know, you kind of suffered the consequences. But usually 99% of the time his gut was right. And, you know, like I said, we just trusted it because his playing resume was so, so broad and expansive. And he was continuing to do it while we were playing. I uh so my college golf coach was an assistant under coach Small. David Pizzino was my yeah. was my my coach and uh I remember him telling a story and I'm 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 sure I'm going to leave out some of the details but I think it was like an afternoon round and he's playing with coach Small and and coach Small hits like a couple flag sticks and shoots like 30 or 31 on the front and they're like all right that's it for the day let's let's go get some food let's go get some wings and he just like basically treated shooting 31 or 32 as no big deal, but let, let's just go get wings and call it a day. And everyone's looking at him like, dude, you, you're on fire. Like, let's, let's keep this going. There's plenty of daylight. He's like, no, that's enough. Let's go get some food. Let's go get some beers. Thanks. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure that's, that's pretty accurate. Uh, and, and I'm guessing that that's not uncommon. Well, I mean, yeah, Coach, I mean, he would go out there and, you know, do his thing, especially around Champagne. I mean, he knows the golf course so well. And, you know, if we would go out there and compete with him, he'd go play and, you know, qualifying with us and practices with us and keep his game sharp. And, yeah, he'd go lay down 31, 32, no problem. Yeah. And, you know, and if we were playing in some kind of game or something, we had to give him a shot. <laughs> That's got to be hysterical. Yeah, you guys he was the, like, you guys are young studs on a D one powerhouse golf team, and you got to get and you got to you know pick up. Uh, your, your coach is giving you strokes. That's awesome. Yeah, he'd be like, he'd be like, Meyer, you train like an Olympian. I I deserve to get a shot. He goes, I sit in an office all day doing work for you guys. I'm like, okay. I was like, okay, guilt trip me into a shot. Exactly. Kind of like yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, let me ask you. So I, I look at a couple of um, a couple of your clips just from like NCAA's, and you know I I'm around college golfers all the time. For the most part, they're very very reserved. And then when I have just casual conversations with them, you see the personality come out a little bit more. Um, you know whether it's on social media, they're they're reserved or in person, but it seems like they're not leaning into their personalities on the golf course, it seems like they're trying to keep everything buttoned up. You, from what I've seen in, in past clips from your college days is definitely not the case. You're almost looking for a way to get fired up, uh, especially in match play and, and NCAAs. 
How did you find that balance, or did you even try to? Did you just basically open the floodgates and say, this is who I am? Um, you know, what was kind of your approach to kind of letting your personality shine? You know, I've always felt that, you know, I've always been a very outgoing person, somebody who's not afraid to be who they are um, or even hide my personality. So, um, you know, it just came naturally to me. This is what I enjoy doing. Uh, I'm going to be excited. I'm going to show my emotion, whether, you know, it's positive or negative, <laughs> get myself fired up and, and whether, you know, um, you know, four or five under or whether I'm four or five over, I'm going to find a way to get myself fired up, get myself drawn in. And, you know, I do that through my personality and, you know, it's been a very, very big beneficial thing for me in my career. And, you know, and I grew up playing basketball and basketball is my first love of a sport. And, you know, you, you play with enthusiasm, you play with, um, you know, charisma and things like that and, and basketball and everything's pretty loud and, and, you know, yeah. uh, obnoxious at times. And, you know, that's kind of where I fit my personality is I'm still that inside i love that basketball mentality and i brought that you know to the golf course and you know it seemed to work for me and i you know i do know what you're talking about a lot of guys seem reserved and uh you know then they once they get off the golf course they go back into their own personality which sometimes that's good for people you know they have to be able to mask that because their personality doesn't gel well with their golf game but me you know i i found that to be just such an uh, you know, huge advantage is to tap into my personality, who I am. And, you know, especially in match play, you know, if I'm, I'm going to bring it one way or the other, you know, I'm going to get somebody one-on-one, -on -one, my energy is going to be 10 times of what theirs is. And, you know, and they're going to have to match it and there's no way that they're going to match it because they've never had, you know, the, the opportunity to do that or, you know, given themselves, you know, that, like I said, that chance to do that. Um, so it was kind of a try to like an intimidation little thing that I always do. I'd always hit first, you know, on the fairway because they're all longer than me. Right. I'd, I'd hit my four irons in there. I'd go make my putt. I'd let them know I made that putt. And I'd go to the next tee box and I'd tee off first again. And letting them see that I'm just slowly wearing them down, you know, hitting, hitting good shots over and over again, plotting my way around a golf course, strategic golf, but also, you know, getting amped up whenever I do do something right quick tee pickups, you know, not staring at the ball when it's in flight because I know exactly where it's going, you know, things like that. One one memory brings it back was at East Lake Cup um, on 15, we were playing Texas, and I was playing Taylor Funk, and a whole bunch of stuff happened, you know, pre-round that, you know, kind of instigated this whole moment um, that it came down to. And, you know, we were on 15, and, Taylor makes a putt from, I don't know, 25 feet, gives a big, you know, fist bump and all that good stuff because sure. he needed it, you know, going into 16 because I believe I was two up at the time. And I had a 15-footer and about – I putted and about three feet from the hole and I know that it's going in. I look at him. I stare at him. I give him a, a Matumbo finger wag oh. and – and that <laughs> which which for you which for you kids out there is a uh Rory uh Patrick Reed 2016 Ryder Cup finger web just got to remember you and I are a little bit you know we got a little bit yeah, more knowledge yeah. in there so anyway go ahead sorry do the finger yeah, wag ex exactly i gave him a finger wag and you know that kind of and it kind of i saw it look in his face like oh shit wow <laughs> yeah like yeah, i mean i i mean i just knew it like they're like and I, in my head, like before I had the putt and I'm like, I'm going to make this thing and I'm going to, you know, show him that he has no chance of winning no matter what he does, no matter how many putts he makes, he's not going to win this match. And, you know, it, it, and then, you know, 16, it, it showed, it kind of got him flustered a little bit and, you know, end up winning the match and, you know, moving on. So, um, that was definitely one of those moments where my charisma and my personality went through and had that, you know, that basketball moment um, that came out. And, you know, it's just who I am, and I'm never going to shy away from that. And even, you know, to this day, professionally, um, I'm never going to shy away from it. So, do you uh, do you like? I know you mentioned you're you're you hit the ball shorter than than the average. Um, the average player and you're, you're hitting first a lot. Do you like beating players with your short game or I'm sorry, do you like beating the bomber with your short game or do you kind of like 
I, I'm, let me rephrase this so it makes so I can understand what the hell I'm talking about. But basically, <laughs> basically what I'm trying to say is like you know obviously you're playing a lot of bombers and you could just you know wear them down with your short game. But do you kind of also like the challenge of a guy maybe that hits at the same distance and you're just kind of going at it with each other's short games and like who can chip in putt at the best that day? Um. Yeah. I mean, in a match play setting, definitely. I mean, for me, whether it's a bomber or somebody that hits at the same distance as I do, um, you know, I'm playing the golf. I'm playing my my game plan, and I know that my game plan is going to be better than the person next to me or the person who I'm playing. So I know what I've gone through in my practice round, how I've mapped it out, the, you know, playing strong side to certain pins, um, knowing the, you know, green complexes, the tiers of each green and things like that. And knowing that, okay, being a hundred yards on this layup on a par five is ideal of where I want to be at. But with the slope and everything, I want to be back to, you know, 120. Right. And, and, you know, where the other guy may push it down to 100 and he has a tough shot. And then I'm at 120 and I have a comfortable shot. And so that's kind of um, where I find myself in match play um, is I just really focus on the game plan that I set forward. Sure that I'm going to focus a little bit more on what the player that I'm playing does just because I've got him one-on-one compared to what I would do in normal stroke play where I would just completely focus on, you know, my strategy and what my game plan is. Because if a guy, say, he, you know, knocks it to, you know, seven feet, you know, me playing it out to like 15, 20 feet out to the right strong side is really not to play at that point in time. Now now it's kind of like I need to kind of scoot this in and hit a really good shot Yeah. Um, if they do hit before me. So, um, yeah, no, it's definitely something like that. I mean, regardless – whoever I'm playing, I'm going to stick to my game plan and do what I do. Um, and I got away from that for a little bit, you know, in 2019 and 2020, as I was struggling, you know, I was trying to make, you know, eight birdies in three holes, trying to play in this yeah. corn ferry and trying yeah. to shoot, you know, 28 under, you know, I'm finally slowly getting back to the point of, Hey, I need to trust my game, trust my game plan again, play Dylan Meyer golf and what I do. And, you know, and slowly and slowly I'm starting to play, better and better golf and you know hopefully these next three weeks up in canada i can do just that as keep this momentum going that i've got well i want to talk about your your time as a professional i mean you turned pro at, at, in 2018 and you know we'll talk about that in a minute i want to make sure we just kind of reference really uh, arguably one of the highlights of your amateur career winning the western name in yep. 2016 and, I'm, and i i mean that has to after everything that's gone on with COVID and turning and you turning pro and just finding your way, I mean, gosh, it's only six years ago, um, which is has to feel like an eternity. But you're the first player from the University of Illinois to win the Western Amateurs at Knollwood Country Club, which actually I've played. I love that course, um, and you know it's so cool to kind of at least for me to to look back at the record books to see who um, you know who played in in that that Western Am and, and, you know, actually just tons of Western Ams. The Western Golf Association does a really great job of chronicling their history and who played and just kind of going back and looking and, you know, yeah, you, you actually get into the sweet 16 through a playoff. And actually <laughs> yeah. there are, there are a couple of the semifinalists that did that. But when you go look at the players that were in this field, I mean, Scotty Scheffler misses the cut. Morikawa misses the cut. Zalatoris misses the cut. You know, you have, you go through the match play bracket, you beat Doug Gim, you beat Will Gordon, and then you beat Horsefield in the final. I know that the USAM is obviously the one that gets you the exemption into the Masters and the US Open, but the Western Am probably has a field that's just as good, if not better, than any amateur term in the country. And you had played the Western Am previously. What uh, what was kind of, when you're going into that Western Am, if you can think back, you know what was the state of your game? I know you're having a great season, obviously, at... Um, at Illinois, but, uh, you had to have been riding a, a pretty big high going into Nolwood. Yeah. You know, I, I played some solid golf and, 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 in the summertime, you know, Sonny Hama and, and events like that, where I've played some really solid golf finished inside the top 10, come close to winning a few, few of those amateur events. So I had a good feeling that if I get myself into match play into that, you know, sweet 16, that I'm gonna have a very good chance of, of winning. Um, just because that's what we did at Illinois. We got into, we did match play situations in practice. We did, 
you know, we played well in match play stuff um, at nationals. So I was pretty comfortable with the match play scenario. And I knew that, like I said, if I got somebody one-on-one, I could go and win no matter who it was. And so I went to the week, you know, did my practice rounds, plotted out my, my strategy for the week of the golf course. And, you know, I got fortunate enough to get through that playoff, which was daunting to say the least. I think it was like a six man playoff for like two spots. Yeah. I think it was actually, I'm looking at it right now and it looks to me that there were, let's see here. There were six of you that shot even for your okay. stroke play portion, and only one of them, Jun Lee, Wan Jun Lee, was the only one that did not make it. So it actually okay. looks like it was a six for five. That's right. Okay, yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, because I remember he made bogey on that par five ten. Um, yeah, so it was nice just you know getting through that kind of a breath of fresh air. And it's like, okay, I can I can get in here and you know, got paired against Doug. I believe Doug was first. Uh yeah. you yeah, uh you let's see. So you beat going down memory lane, you beat Michael Demorat one up in the round of yep. sixteen. And then you beat you beat the hell out of Doug Gim five and four in the quarters. Yep. And then you had Gordon four and two in the semis. And then really, I mean, actually, if getting through the round of 16 was your hardest match. Yeah, that, that was so when I played Doug, that's kind of whenever I was. Um, that's whenever the cylinder started really getting getting going. I was hitting every shot so good. And, you know, I was figuring out the golf course more and more. And I got more and more comfortable with everything and. You know, that's kind of where it really started, you know, for the week of, you know, winning the Western and getting through to the finals there. And then the next uh, the next week was the USAM. And, you know, I just really kept the ball rolling there. So that was that match against Doug that morning. I don't know what what it was, but, you know, things just just clicked. and I just started swinging at it so good. And I mean, I barely made any mistakes. So for uh, basically a month stretch and that was that was that was some very very high level golf and um it was nice to have going into senior year i believe yeah. it was senior year yeah and i guess now that you're playing professionally you're trying to recapture that feeling where everything's going right and the golf game is easy um how how hard is it to remain patient and let that come to you, as opposed, like you said, trying to make eight birdies in three holes. That's got to be one of the constant things that you're fa- that you're fighting all the time. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's hard. I mean, it is difficult to play professional golf, and because nowadays everybody is so good, everybody can have a week, and you know, and it, there's this certain amount of pressure of, you know, am I good enough? Am I good enough to play at this level? Um, and you, do, you just have to get over that little hump and you have to figure it out of mentally where, where does my place fall in, in professional golf? How do I become better rather than, you know, making a team better rather than comparing yourself to others, which I've done in the past. And, you know, starting really focusing on who you are as a person, who you are as a player, and which I drifted away from that, as I said, where I was trying to make eight birdies in three or four holes, which is absolutely impossible. Right. It's, you know, my game is more tailored to, if I go shoot, you know, two to three, two to four under around, get my golf ball around that golf course. I'm That's where my solid rounds of golf are going to be played. And that's how I'm going to, you know, eventually win a golf tournament because at one, at some point in time, I'm going to break out a couple seven unders, couple eight unders in tournament rounds, and I'm going to shoot better than what my goals are. But if I can get back to the way I, where I was whenever I was playing in the Western and the USAM and, and where I was at Illinois, it's just that consistent golf of making pars and birdies, you know, eliminating the doubles. And, you know, I know I'm going to have bogeys in my round. That's one thing that I've got to understand and that I didn't understand. I was like, man, I can, professional golf, you can't have bogeys. And then you're like, well, that's just kind of unrealistic, man. Right. And but you feel that way when you're playing in these events and guys are, you know, 28 under 
winning these golf tournaments and you're like, man, how the hell do I get there? You know, like I, well, I can't make a mistake because if I make a mistake, then that's just putting me, you know, 10 times even further back in the field. So, <clears throat> so you're kind of saying that when you're playing in regular tournaments, you were kind of adopting the mindset of actually playing in a Monday qualifier where, yeah, if you make a couple bogeys early, you kind of know that you're, there's a good chance it's not going to work out for you because you got to shoot 64. It sounds like you were actually taking that into just regular tournaments. 100% because it, it, it's just, you know, you see the leaderboards after day one. It's like you could be two under and you're team 89. And you're like, how is this even possible? Right. Like, like I, I felt like I did okay. I mean, I didn't. Granted, I didn't lay down a very, very good round, you know, but you see a guy like multiple guys that are shooting eight, seven, six, and you're like, man, where, where did I miss out at? And so you keep putting pressure on yourself the next day. Like I have to go shoot eight under. And so then it just, it just makes golf so hard. Your decisions become, you know, very gray area, you know, some things that, you know, you would go for that you would never go for before. I mean, in, in my case. Uh, of getting away from my, who I was in my game. And, you know, that just was so anti good for my golf game. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and so now finally, after coming through all the COVID stuff, you know, I took time to really sit down, think about things. I actually called coach small, talked to my swing coach here in town and, you know, talked to my agent and like, Hey, what, what do I need to do? What, what should I do? And, you know, kind of brainstorming ways to get back to where I, where I needed to be. So, um, you know, I was just getting back to playing Dylan Meyer golf and I got back here in town. I took a couple weeks off to, you know, learn to play strong side again, learn to play a golf course and pick it apart and dissect it and get a game plan for it. Even a golf course like Evansville country club, like I play thousands of times a year. It's, I went out there, I, plotted it out i played it like a tournament golf course rather yeah. than beating driver everywhere yep, and yep. knowing what's going to happen and you know hitting three woods or irons off of tees to, as if i were playing a tournament round and hitting to strong sides of pins and what do you know uh you know four or five days later my golf game is is 10 times better than what it was you know in 2019 right and um you know playing much better golf and I found a lot of confidence through that. I gained a lot more confidence. I'm like, man, this is what I've been missing. And rather than the question mark of, Oh, what band-aid do I need today to fix this problem? I was right. able to get back into everything and, and all that. So that was, that was a nice little deal through the COVID and all that. Talk about strong side. I know people listening probably heard that and, and they're just like, wait, 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 what, what, what was that? What is this key that he's using strong side of pins? You know, talk about that just briefly so that listeners really kind of a clear set of how you approach that, because I, I know what you're talking about. And I think that people would get a huge benefit of understanding how, you know, whether we're talking about the, the guy that plays in his local league, or he's trying to qualify for a club championship, or maybe the junior golfer that's trying to, you know, Tons of people will get a benefit from this. What a professional golfer does outside of tournament golf to prepare themselves for tournament golf. Yeah, you know, so like a strong side is so say you got a pin that's ten on and five from the left. Um, you don't want to be le the short side and the weak side of it would be left of the flag because if you were to miss the green to the left, then you're going to have a very tough chip shot. Or if you do miss, if you do miss it a little left. You're gonna have a you have a very close putt, but in reality, it's gonna be a very difficult putt, most likely because of where that pin's at. Sure. And so strong side is where if like I said, if it's ten on and five from the left, I'm aiming right of that flag and I wanna be, you know, ten feet right. Because if I do somehow say I draw it a little too much and it crosses the flag, it's not gonna go so far left that I'm gonna have a bad an hard chip shot or I have a bad shot, right? It's going to be creeping into, you know, it might be two feet left of the hole or it might be two feet right of the hole because I drew it a little more than what I wanted to. Not every pin you have to go for and, you know, um, hit it to 10 feet. You know, I believe tiger said it back in the early two thousands when they asked him, they're like, well, well, you hit a couple shots, you know, 25 feet. Well, that's where I wanted to hit it. Not every pin you have to hit, you know, to, five feet 
You know, a right. lot of times a 25 footer is a good shot. It's what you want to do to a pin because it's a, it's a red light pin is what we called it in our program. You know, you have red light, green light, yellow light. If you're, you know, a red light pin, I mean, strong sided two putt your golf ball. And if you make a 25, 30 footer, great. You know, that means you're on a roll. A yellow one means, okay. Like it depends on how my rounds going. If I'm really striking it well and I'm feeling very confident in my golf swing, I'll go after it a little more. If I don't feel good, I'm going to stay strong side, treat it as like a red flag. And, you know, just have my 25 footer. Then green flags are the ones that are center of the green, middle back, you know, middle front. And you just dial it up and try to hit it as close as you can with, you know, like a little nine iron or pitching wedge in your hand. Yeah. So it's little things like that, you know, and you take that into practice. Um, and you start really dialing it in, and it becomes easier, and your eyes start drawing to that side, and you start processing, you know, shots a lot easier. And a lot of times, what I do is I'll go out and play golf, and I'll and I'll take flags out. Yeah. And I and and I'll uh, I'll ask somebody uh, from the pro shop or something if they can go ahead of me four or five holes and just take the flags out, and I'll put them in. And that way I can go ahead and just hit to the center of the green. And that way I'm also working on two putting, you know, my speed control and things like that. And I'm also working on distance of what it is to the middle of that green. And, um, you know, there's just different things to yeah. it, you know, that you can do to keep getting better and to keep, uh, you know, drawing your eyes to playing strong sides. I'm so glad you brought that up, but then also selfishly, I'm a little bit bummed because I literally just had in my, I was literally it's in the holster. was just about to say, <laughs> isn't, it, isn't it incredible how well you play if you just go to the center of 18 greens? Yeah. If you just don't even bother with the flag, just like, all right, what's my number? 120, 162, 148, perfect. Middle of the green. And then figure it out from there. Some of the best golf I've ever played is when I'm like, I'm not going at pins today. I'm not going to try and get myself in trouble. Uh, I'm just going to put the middle of the green. Yep, 100%. And there are golf courses where they're like that. You know, you get an Olympia Fields, you get, you know, these U.S. Open style golf courses, or you get Isleworth, which ones we played East Lake. A lot of times, center of the green, that's where you want to be at. Yeah. You know, there's other golf courses that you can go after flags more or whatnot, but a lot of times, you just got to pick things apart and got to trust that your putting and your speed's good and. You know, just take pressure off yourself and put pressure on the golf course by just keep hitting fairways and greens. You mentioned turning professional and talking to your agent, talking to Coach Small, and kind of developing your team, and and you know that's going to help you in this next phase of your life. And I, I think it's probably fair to say that while I know you received a lot of attention, or I assume that you received a lot of attention from agents uh, when you were still in college at, at Illinois the landscape really has drastically changed now at the inception of NIL. And, and, you know, I see, gosh, I mean, there's, I know players that haven't hit one damn shot in college golf yet, and they already have agents and you'll see it at the USA. I mean, if you catch any of the USA on TV this summer, you will see so many players that have, you know, like, you know, back when you're in college, yeah, everyone's kind of wearing a Titleist or a Callaway hat when they're not playing for school you're going to see hats with companies on them like, what the, what the hell is that? Um, yeah. But but if like if a parent or a player called you up and said, Dylan, man, how, how do I navigate this? You know, how did you navigate it? You know, what, what's really important at this time? What's not really important? Do you kind of remember that last year of college and when kind of the noise started ramping up for you? And how did you navigate it? Yeah, you know, I well, what was nice as coaches – Coach Small is very, very beneficial for me through this process. And him and I talked to talked about him. I asked him, I was like, hey, you've had numerous guys play high-level golf, and they've had to deal with agencies and, and people coming in with attention, wanting to get them to sign and do other things. I was like, how do they approach it? So he was able to go back off of previous knowledge, talk to me about, talk to me through it. And what I did is what everyone, what everyone else did was I'm not going to talk to any agents during our season. Okay. I'm not, I'm going to wait until the winter time of senior year. Um, so our off season, so around November, December ish and early part of January, that's whenever I was going to host my meetings. 
of agencies, club companies, and stuff like that, of people that are interested. And then I was going to make my decision before the spring season started. That way, everything was all in line. I have nothing to worry about through championship season when we're trying to win as a team. Right. My, my, my attention is completely focused on the team winning, trying to get a championship. Um, you know, and a lot, you see a lot of guys going through the process and, you know, they, they drag it on through, uh, through their semester, their, you know, spring semester and, you know, in hopes of trying to, if they win a couple more times, they get more money, they get that and this, that, and the other thing. And yeah, a lot of times that's true. A lot of players do need to do that, but a lot of times it's not beneficial to do that because you want to be able to focus on winning and going and getting your opportunity. Um, of a lifetime of playing for championships. Yeah. You don't ever get to do that. Um, you know, the money's great and the money's nice and, you know, hearing people wanting you, I mean, everyone's intoxicated by all that and, that, and that's fantastic. But you also have to put into the realization that you spent three and a half years at that point of dedicating your life to that university of that program and all that. And so you're going to, you know, your last semester of getting it done, you're going to have it distracted by, you know, outside things. And I, w I wasn't going to have that. Um, I was just going to be, you know, all about it, you know, cause like I said, my first semester in school was, it was a fight, you know, it was an argument and it was, I was stubborn. And like I told coach small after that, I was like, anything you need me to do, I'm going to do it. And he advised, you know, getting it done before the spring season started and listening to why that was. And it was because of, you know, focusing on the team, winning championships and all that, blah, blah, blah. I was like, that's what I'm going to do. And I ended up working out the best. And yeah. that was, that was, that was nice. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm really glad you, we hit upon this because I, I see a lot of these players and they're, they're, you know, just like you said, the agents and, and all these things. And I'm just thinking to myself, this is the, you know, you're never going to get this time back in your life. And I know it's like, I don't want to be typical old guy, like the college years are the best years of your life. And, but yeah, you'd never get to play for a national championship again. You never get to play in a, in a Western am you never get to, you know, be with the boys. And also, you know, you start causing distractions to the team, that relationship that took you three, four years to build with your teammates, all of a sudden you're the one that's getting wined and dined by agents and things like that. They're going to start looking at you differently too. Right. And you know, and that was one thing that we always had within our program. We know us guys, we never talked about our scholarships. We never talked about our deals that we were going to be having. Right. We never talked about anything like that because it was just, it was none of our business. Right. You know, it was, we're a team. We get out here, we do our thing together. I mean, we are best friends. We go to war with each other and we do anything for one another. But that was one thing we never really talked about was our private business deals. And a lot of times, you know, that drives wedges and teams and you see that. And now it's going to be even more prevalent because, you know, um, I forgot who I saw. Oh, oh the kid from uh, Michigan state. Pyatt? Um, James Pyatt. Yeah. Yeah, and he had uh, logos on his shirt with the Michigan State logo on there. And I believe he had that during tournaments, right? Um, are you talking about it when he was playing live golf? No, not live. I believe it, he was still amateur, and I think he was wearing like the Michigan State logo, like the team uniforms. I, I was thinking maybe he had some of those patches on when he was playing in college events. I'm not sure. Probably not in college because I don't think they let you put anything on your shirt unless okay. it's NCAA. But I know he was. I mean, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, because that's one of those ones I saw that, and I was wondering if he wore them during tournaments or if he wore that, you know, say during a Western Am. Was he wearing that? You know, and you got guys on the team that that's going to spark some jealousy. That he's oh, flaunting yeah. that out, and you're like, man, like I don't know, like because a lot of times guys are. And this is just also human nature too. People aren't happy seeing other people be successful, yeah. whether they're your teammates or not. And, you know, and that's kind of a bummer. And, but at the same time, you know, at Illinois, we were very fortunate. All of us, we rooted for everyone to be as successful as they could, no matter what it was, we had no resentment, no anything to one another. And we always, our thing, we always wanted to beat one another. And, you know, and that was always what sparked our friendship and our relationship. Anytime we got off the golf course, we were best friends. We wanted to beat the shit out of each other whenever, <laughs> whenever we were playing. But when we got got done, it was as if we'd never 
we never competed. We were just best friends. And that was one of the benefits of our program and coach preached about and, you know, whatever business we had with each other on the golf course, we left it there. Right. So, and I think that's kind of going to be one of the hardest things to deal with with NIL and coaches because now these, the kids are going to be pulled in different directions of, Hey, we need you to practice for the team. Oh, well, you've got this commitment with, you know, this company, you got to go do this media day. You got to go do this. Well, it's like, well, where is your, where's your head at, man? Like, what are you here or are you there? Yeah. You know, so, and that's going to be the hardest thing to navigate and, you know, People have done it, obviously. I mean, the professional golf setting, but this is a team setting, totally right. different. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't hide my my passion for amateur and collegiate golf, and I just look at it where I'm thinking, you know, here's the other thing too. If you keep playing good golf, all this other shit will get taken care of, and it will work out in your favor. What you've 100%. done, what you've done in your freshman and sophomore year is the reason you're getting attention from agents and club companies and and investors. Why change anything? Just tell them, hey, love it. Thank you so much. I have to focus on this right now. Come back to me when, uh, you know, I think it's brilliant what what you and Coach Small did. Like, hey, I'll take my meetings here. You know, kind of like like what professional uh, basketball players do. I think that was... I think that's what a lot did. They they just basically, yeah, come in for meetings, come in for pro day. I mean, it's really you're setting yeah. up a pro day. Yeah, and it's like um, like the this week uh, I'm gonna have meetings with such and such agencies. I'm gonna have meetings with such and such club companies and yeah. and things like that. That's gonna set up everything because it's like, hey, I know you guys are interested. Thank you for being interested. I appreciate it. Like you said, and you know I'm gonna be here. You guys are gonna be here. Let's, you know, and if it's too early, just tell them, hey, we're going to table this until December. And if they're not interested in December and they want to get something done quick, then they're not the company um, for you. And they're I'm really not, not. Yep. Yep. And so that's whenever you're like, okay, well, then I made a great decision. And, you know, that's kind of, you know, the same thing in the recruiting process. You hear some of these coaches out there like, oh, I need to know if you're going to commit in the next month. Well, I'm not, I don't, I won't know that. So. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that. And so if they're not there, then, you know, that's just not the right fit for you. So that's one thing I've always learned about it is if someone's interested in you and they want to be all about you and want you part of their, their team, program, company, whatever it may be, they're going to be around for it. Yeah. And you want to make sure like, like during, I mean, no one ever saw COVID happening. And, and the other thing too is, you know, as a professional golfer, which you've gone through and you're on the, you're, you're on the um, other side of it, you're coming out of it and your, your game is improving. You know, that, that professional golf is not all roses. There are going to be gaps. There are going to be times and you need companies and, and people around you that are going to support you when you're shooting 65 and, and, and holding a trophy or, you know, shooting 73 and putting the clubs in the trunk and finding the nearest waffle house for dinner. Right. And, you know, and that's what, and I've been very, very fortunate with the sponsors that I've had, um, you know, two right now that I've got diamond equipment and innovative staff solutions, you know, through these last couple of years, I mean, I'm on PGA tour Canada and I've got, I got some status and, sure. um, with COVID and everything, they didn't have to put up any money just because we weren't playing. Right. There were seasons were canceled and stuff like that, but they believe in me. Uh, they believe in what I can do. They think that I can make it. And, you know, and those type of sponsorships um, mean the world. I mean, they're they're not the big-time money things that you see from, you know, Wells Fargo and things like that, you know. But these are the ones that, you know, that mean the most because you know these people on a personal level. They want to see you successful. They want to see you do all the right things and want them involved in their company involved in their company too because they're you know they're helping you so much and so i've been very very fortunate in that and i and i know there are other guys out there that feel the same way about their their companies that sponsor them too at you know on pj tour camp latin america and corn ferry that's where you start developing these relationships and you know it, it's just great to, great to see that there's people out there like that that want to support golfers like myself you know and in the developmental tours of trying to make it and you know, not putting too much time constraint on things and, you know, just having that true belief in, in the players. Yeah. 
Well, Dylan, I, I really appreciate the time. It, it's a, a you know fun. I hope it, oh, it was enjoyable for you to kind of walk down memory lane of your amateur and your collegiate days. And I think the value that you're providing in this episode of of not only gosh, I mean, parents of junior golfers when they try and figure out what program is right for them, and also players that are coming out of college and playing professionally, figuring out the best transition. Um, I know you're heading to PGA Tour Canada. Got some events up there. I wish you the best, man. And again, thank you so much for uh, stopping by the back of the range. And and when you get back down to West Palm Beach, um, let's let's get a game at our, at a muni course. Absolutely, you got it. And there you have it. Special thanks to Dylan Meyer for joining me on this episode here at the back of the range. Don't forget, follow along on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Follow WGA Championships on Instagram all week until the Western Amateur Championship concludes on Saturday. We'll see you next time here at the back of the range.